We're back in First Samuel, we're making our way through the second half of chapter 13 and 14. So let's open in a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for uh, this place we can meet in. Thank you that you provided for us, and, and Lord, we thank you for your word and uh, how you've given us your spirit to help us comprehend it and understand it and live the Christian life you've called us to live. And so we just pray tonight that you would um, just uh, apply the truth that we learn and, and apply it to our lives directly, that we would uh, leave this place stronger, uh, edified, built up in our spirit. And we we uh, pray for those who couldn't be here tonight and pray that you would just uh, bless them as well and remind them of uh, your grace. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the weather's changed. <laughs> Big time. Yeah, exactly. The end of the day. All right. Well, last week we looked at the first half of uh, chapter 13, basically, uh, down through verse 15. And uh, we, we've talked about this series, like a little mini-series within First Samuel here, Fear or faith. And last week we looked at Saul, who clearly acted foolishly out of fear because he was in circumstances beyond his control. And we drew a couple points from that just to go over them quickly. First of all, we said we all will experience times of testing, every one of us. We're not isolated from that. And so we need to prepare ourselves for the battle. And when you fight the enemy, guess what? The enemy fights back. So it's not an easy fight. It's a spiritual fight. Um, Secondly, we said you'll be tempted at times to give in to fear in our lives, no matter when that is. Because your problems may seem overwhelming. Maybe everyone around you is responding in fear, kind of like a mass fear situation. Maybe God's not delivering you. You're asking God to deliver you from a circumstance, and just in his sovereign hand, he's saying no. And fear, we saw, can lead you to do the wrong thing. And so we have to be on our guard against that. And then thirdly, we said it's foolish to let go of God and his word in your time of need. And some people get to that point in their Christian life. They're just so overwhelmed with all their issues, whatever, they just throw the towel in and walk away. Uh, And in doing so, we, we looked at three points under that. Don't try to justify your wrong actions. We saw how Saul did that. Well, you Samuel, he didn't show up. That's why I had to do the sacrifice, remember? And the people were rebelling. He gave all these reasons why he offered the, the sacrifice rather than waiting for Samuel to arrive. All he would have had to say is, yeah, I blew it, I'm sorry. But he didn't do that. He made excuses. And there were long-term consequences. He lost the reign. His, his family lost the, the ability to be involved in being the king at all. And then... The last point we looked at last week was you may need to start all over. It may just get so bad, everything's wiped out, and you've got to start over. And that's really where Saul found himself because he only had a couple hundred men left, and things weren't working out. They were leaving his command. So this week we want to look at Jonathan, picking up in verse uh, 13 of, of chapter 13. And I just want to read, before we start, if you look over at verse, chapter 14, verses 6 to 9, 
just want to read these couple of verses. It tells us a little bit about Jonathan. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, speaking of the Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan uh, said, Behold, we will cross over to them, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. And so we see this man of faith, Jonathan, who is Saul's what? Son. Okay, he's the son of King Saul. And um, when, you, when, you, when you think of that, he's really everything his father should have been as king. And so we're going to see this because Saul was an example of someone who didn't finish well. And it's almost, we're kind of doing little character studies throughout this book because a couple weeks ago, well, more than a couple weeks, but several weeks ago before we went to Hawaii, we looked at Samuel and how he ended well. He did basically what the Lord told him to do. He finished well. And then uh, we looked at Saul, and he was an example of instead of finishing well, he acted uh, foolishly, disobediently, out of fear. And then today we're going to look at Jonathan, who is an example of someone who, instead of acting foolishly out of fear, he uh, acted boldly with faith. And that's the way we want to respond. But when you, when you stop and think about it, it's sad that Saul blew this thing. You know, he disobeyed Samuel's orders, thereby disobeying God. And so when Samuel finally meets up with him and tells him the consequences, you know, you're not going to be king, nor is any of your family, it's kind of sad because Jonathan probably would have made a pretty good king. He seems like he has a pretty good head on his shoulders, but we'll never know. And so those are some of the consequences that Saul had to uh, bear out because as I said Jonathan was everything a king should be that his father should have been uh, which Saul wasn't Uh, he's bold he's daring he's brave he's full of faith in God as we're going to see tonight and he's he's the opposite of what uh, Saul was so when you, when you stop and think about it, you can't, and you read this, this portion of Scripture, you can't help but like Jonathan. There's just something about this guy. He's just, you know, he just seems like a really good guy. He's bold. He's got a lot of faith in God. God's going to take care of him. And uh, we'll, we'll see this as we go through it. But let's look at verses uh, 16 to 22. First of all, this is where we left off last week. And the first point in your outline there is do not fight like the world fights. Do not fight like the world fights. And this is a, a principle that, as Christians, we need to understand. The world fights how? They fight dirty, right? They fight by their own rules. They're not concerned with God's principles or God's rules. Uh, they fight for their own cause, uh, in their own ways, and you know, God is, is left outside of that circle. But as Christians, we shouldn't fight like that. Uh, we're told to have a different principle in mind. And we see in verses 16 to 18, and by implication we can draw this, that we have to fight 
a spiritual battle. We have to understand that first and foremost. Look at verse 16. It says, And Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people who were present with them stayed in Geba of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped at Michmash. And the raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. So they're, they're gaining ground. Because Saul and his men used to be at Michmash. <laughs> a couple, couple of verses prior to this, a couple of chapters ago. And now the Philistines are making inroads into their territory. They actually took over their camp, kicked them out. And so Saul and his men are losing territory. And so the Philistines are emboldened by that, as any enemy would be, right? So now they're sending out little probes into the enemy territory, into Saul's territory, thinking, hey, let's, let's make an inroad somewhere else. And they did it in three different ways. Basically, it says one company turned toward uh, Ophrah, the land of Shual. Another company turned toward Beth Horon. And another company turned toward the border that looks down the valley of Zebboim toward the wilderness. Now, when you, when you look at that, all right, you have to understand that by a spiritual battle, obviously they're fighting a real battle. That's why I said I'm kind of implying this to our Christian life today. They're fighting a physical, real war. Okay, there's actual people there with, with um, weapons that want to hurt them. But there's a parallel here that we can see with the spiritual battle that we're involved in as Christians. Because when you, when you see how the enemy works in the world, you realize really quick that at times it could seem that we're outgunned. <laughs> that we are, uh, you know, we don't have a chance. But you have to remember that God is on our side. Okay? And so, as I said, they were originally camped in this place, Michmash, Saul and his men. The Philistines kicked them out. And now they're sending out these raiding parties to the north, to the west, to the east, to gain even more ground. And Ephesians chapter 6 tells us this in verse 12. It says, our struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood, right? But against, I'll just summarize it, the spiritual forces of evil. And when we are in a spiritual battle, we're not fighting other human beings. You're not dealing mainly with problems. See, this is where the enemy kind of does a bait and switch because we focus on problems that are basically health-related, uh, relationally related, financially related. We're focusing on all those problems. And what I think God wants us to understand is, as a, as a Christian, our primary struggle is none of those things. It's always a spiritual struggle. It's always a spiritual struggle. And you're exactly right. Those things serve as distractions. And so we, we go out, you know, in all directions, and we're failing to focus on what the Lord's priority wants us to be. And so here, the Philistines are sending out these various raiding parties in different directions. Well, guess what? Our enemy does the same thing. He wants to get us distracted. He wants to get us off message. And that's why in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, what? Be self-controlled. You know, you never want to be in, on a battlefront in the midst of a firefight with a, with a soldier who's lost self-control. Because it's not a good situation. They could hurt you. They could hurt somebody else. They could start shooting in the wrong direction. 
even with with police when they're when they're in a in a firefight i mean they have to be aware the you know it's, it's not the old west you can't just go out there and start shooting you know you have to look what's beyond your target are there people are there houses are, are there storefronts it's, you know you have to be aware of that and that's you have to be under control just because somebody's shooting at you you can't just pull out your revolver or your your your, your machine gun and just start spraying the the, the street that's not how it works um, even though sometimes it seems that way when you hear reports of people being shot. They were shot 50 times, you know, by three officers. Well, yeah, because they felt threatened and they unloaded their magazine on the guy. But here it says, be self-controlled and, in, in 1 Peter 5, 8, be alert. Be alert. And self-control kind of has the idea of being sober. You're being, you know, um, sensible. You're not panicking. It's the opposite of, of panic. And alert means just what it means, right? It means you're, you're kind of at a heightened sense of alert. You're, you're watching and waiting and seeing what's going to happen next. Why do we want to be that way? Peter tells us because our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone that uh, the, the uh, verse says devour. Okay, it really means to gulp down. Just oh, in one bite, you're gone. Okay, that's that's what the enemy likes to do. And you've heard it said before that you know the Christian life is not a playground, as the modern day church makes it out to be. That's just not what it is. It's literally a battleground. We are in a battle every day, and it's a spiritual battle. And that battle has we have to understand eternal consequences. It's not just a uh, a physical battle that, okay, some people are going to die and we'll go back to our... No, it has eternal consequences. And the enemy is always working it, trying to work a new angle, trying to, trying to work their way into your life somehow. And that's why we have to be careful of that. So we, we fight a spiritual, uh, a, a spiritual battle. Secondly, we fight with spiritual weapons. All right, we fight with spiritual weapons. Look at what it says in verse 19 to 22. Uh, poor Israel, uh, in verse 19, it says, Now, there was no blacksmith to be found throughout the land of Israel. Guess what? No blacksmith, no what? No weapons. That's not a good thing. There was no blacksmith to be found throughout the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make themselves swords and spears. So the Philistines just cornered that market. And took the resources and hoarded it to themselves and said, you know what? This is a wise thing to do. Verse 20. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattocks, his axe, or his sickle. In other words, okay, we may not have the proper things, but we're going to take, grab the tools out of the garage. We're going to go sharpen these. But they couldn't even sharpen them themselves. They didn't have the resources to do that. So they had taken the Philistines. And what they did, they ripped them off. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel. And the plowshares, and for the maddocks, two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening the axes. And, I mean, the Philistines were smart. They weren't dumb. They're like, we're not going to sharpen your tools so you can use them against us. What do you think we're dumb? You know, sure, we'll sharpen them, but it's going to cost you. And so they were, once again, robbing the resources. And so it says in verse 22, 
So on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. So they're the only people that have any kind of weapon. And you're going to go to war? You're going you're to be able to defend? I mean, you can understand why Saul was a little fearful at this point. And it says in verse 23, And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. So the Philistines were not only outnumbered, uh, or I mean, the uh, Israelites were not only outnumbered by the Philistines, but they, they didn't possess any weapons to defend themselves. They were militarily uh, just, the Philistines were far superior fighting force at this point. And they controlled all the technology for iron making, apparently. And they, they just didn't have the ability to do anything. And so Saul's soldiers didn't have anything to fight with, to defend themselves with. It was just Saul and Jonathan, it tells us. So he's outnumbered. He's outgunned, you might say. The Philistines have more soldiers. The Philistines have superior weapons. And at this point, you can see where uh, Saul would be a little intimidated. Anybody would be in that situation. But normally that would be a problem, wouldn't it? But guess what? Jonathan understood who was on his side. God. When God is on our side, and he is, if you're a believer in Christ, these things are not problems. Uh, as a matter of fact, this was a problem, but it was a problem for the Philistines. <laughs> they just didn't understand it. And Saul didn't understand it at this point. Uh, do you remember David's words to Goliath right before he killed him? In, in, in uh, 1 Samuel 17, he says, It is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. Right? And so... What if you don't have any swords? What if you don't have any spears or any other weapons? As long as God is with you, that doesn't matter. And see, that's, that's my point. Is as Christians, you don't fight as the world fights. We fight with, with spiritual weapons, not physical weapons. In 2 Corinthians, uh, it tells us this. Uh, chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does, Paul says. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So the world gets to use all kinds of weapons against us. But you know what? As a Christian, we're not allowed to use some of the weapons that the world uses. Violence, hatred, falsehoods, gossip, slander, whatever, lies, whatever it might be. And... We have to remember that, that we don't fight as uh, the world fights. And you look at this fight and you go, well, this isn't a fair fight. I mean, this is not fair. They're outnumbered. They're outgunned. And it's definitely not a fair fight for the Philistines because God's not on their side. Right? And, And when we begin to understand who we are in Christ, and we begin to understand that, you know what? As a Christian, God is on our side. 
We don't have to be intimidated. We don't have to worry. We don't have to do all those things. That's why Paul can say that. Don't be anxious for things. Know the, the perfect peace of Christ. And once you understand who you are in Christ, I, I, I honestly believe that that's a problem with most believers today. They don't understand who they are in Christ. They don't have, understand their identity in Christ. They come to church. They go to Bible study. They do all this stuff. But they don't know who they are in Christ. And so therefore the enemy can just slap them around like a little kid. And they feel like they're constantly in all these things. But when you understand who you are in Christ, and you realize that you're already on the winning side, the game's over in God's eyes. It, it gives you a little spring in your step. Even though you may be dealing with major problems, you still know in the end we're on the winning side. The world does not stand a chance against the spiritual weapons that we harness. Weapons like love, prayer, faith, the gospel of Christ. So, remember that. We, we don't fight like the world fights. Secondly, we have to move forward with faith. Look at verse 23. Verse 23, it says, And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, chapter 14, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. I mean, that's a pretty interesting statement. That's like being, you know, in, in South Korea and saying, Hey, you know what, let's just go across the border and you know, knowing that what they do to people over there is not very pleasant. He says, but he did not tell his father. We'll talk about that in a second. I think one of the, the principles here that we want to see is that faith has movement to it. The Bible over and over again talks about faith. As a Christian, if we have faith, if it's genuine faith, there should always be a, a, a sense of moving forward, right, in our Christian lives. We shouldn't just be stale. We shouldn't just be the same place we were a month ago or a year ago. <clears throat> if that's the case, then we have to stop and examine our faith. If you want to act boldly like Jonathan acted in faith, then you have to move forward in faith. And so there's a couple things here in this section. First of all, the church, by implication, should be on the offensive. The church should be on the offensive. And that's what they do here in verse 23. Jonathan takes the offense. He's not on defense. He didn't tell his father. Look at verse 2. Why? Because Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabog's brother. Remember what Ichabog means, right? The glory has departed. Son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. Uh, and the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. I mean, it, it seems here that the idea that Jonathan had was, you know what, I'm not just going to sit here 
and count men <laughs> like my dad's doing, sitting under a pomegranate tree or wherever he's at, um, worrying about this enemy that's, that's possibly going to get out of control here. And so the church should be on the offensive. That's what we can imply by this. Because Satan's, he never, you know, he doesn't sleep. He's not, he's not you know, taking a day off. He's always on the move. And his forces are always scheming. They're always doing something. It says that he prowls around. He doesn't just prowl around during the daytime and then get tired and take a nap at night like animals do. No, the idea there is that he's continually prowling, looking for someone <coughs> to devour. And as a result of that, the response of the church should not be, well, we're just going to hide here and have a little holy huddle and hope that the lion doesn't come and get us. <laughs> no. We should not just be on the defensive, we should be on the offensive. And that's what Jonathan does here. So this detachment of Philistines went out of the pass of Michmash. And if you, I can't help but, you know, you think, you know, the, the gunfight at OK Corral. You know, I mean, this is, this is kind of like the battle at Michmash Pash. You know, that, that's kind of what it would be in the movie, you know, the battle at Michmash Pash. And Jonathan heads out. Uh, for this pass with his armor bearer. And uh, meanwhile, you know, Saul's sitting back at Gibeah, sitting under a tree. And he's probably planning, maybe administrating from there. But, you know, you can see the stark contrast, can't you, between these two men? Saul sitting, Jonathan's acting. Saul is content to play defense. Well, let's just huddle here and wait. Jonathan goes on the offense. With, with Saul at Gibeah, there's this priest, Ahijah, and he's part of this rejected priesthood of Eli that we learned about earlier. And it kind of parallels, what, the rejection of Saul as king, doesn't it? I mean, Saul's sitting back there with a bunch of rejects, basically. Ichabog is mentioned, as I said. That means the glory has departed. And so between the rejected priestly line of Eli and, and the glory has departed, the rejected line of Saul, I mean, clearly it seems like the glory of God has departed Israel. But in the midst of all that, as God often does, he lets <clears throat> the light shine. He, he brings hope. And in, in this, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a demoralizing situation when you think about it. They only have a couple hundred guys. Saul's obviously worried. Jonathan's seeing all this. And rather than just sit there and wait for his dad, he says, come on, to his armor bearer. Let's go make something happen. And uh, he does just that. He takes off on military maneuvers. He was a covert special ops team of Israel. Nobody knew where he was going. Nobody knew he was even gone. And you say, well, was that right? Because maybe he should have asked his father first. Who knows? It doesn't tell us. Maybe he knew that Saul would say, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. That would just rile him up more. But he really had a, he sensed, I think, a calling from God to do this. And uh, whatever the reason, Jonathan is in a wonderful example and by practical kind of application of the church's mission for us today. You know, we should not just 
be playing defense within our churches. You know, there's a world out there that's lost and dying and going to hell every day. The enemy's not resting. Um, and the church should not be playing defense, but should be taking it to him on the offense. I mean, even Jesus in, in Matthew 16, 18, what did he say? He said, I will build what? my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I mean, that's a promise we can take to the bank. You know, that's like saying, okay, you know what? Um, if you get in this fight, you're going to win. Well, what would be the hesitation of getting in the fight? See, we don't understand some of the promises of God. We don't understand the position that God has put us in. That word there, overcome it, when Jesus said the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it, it means to prevail against it. In other words, the church is on the offense storming the gates of hell, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. They're going down. And that's, we've, we've, we've come such a, a far cry from that kind of attitude within our churches. You know, we just like to come together and get cozy and, you know, learn more and learn more and learn more and just get fat spiritually. And then sit around and complain about how horrible the world is. When God has said, no, I've called you to be the what? The salt, the light. Get out there and mix it up with them. We don't have the, the right just to come to church and sit here and just, you know, cuddle each other. That's not what God has intended for us. That's not what Christ has intended for us as a church. And so we need to be aware of that. <clears throat> and there's, you know, it's wonderful to see how people, even within our own congregation, are mixing it up with different folks. Um, sharing their faith reaching out, helping neighbors, whatever it might be. But they're on the offensive. The second point here is nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. Look at what he says in verse 4. This is so encouraging. 1 Samuel 14. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other. In other words, it was a tough place to go through. Basically, that's what that's saying. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was uh, uh, Senen, Sene. And the one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Now, when you, when you hear that, and you, you look at that, that is uh, uh, implying that this place at Michmash was an awesome place to have a military camp because it was very easy to defend and it was hard to attack because you had to go through all these, this, this, these rocks and, 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 and different stuff going on there. Yes, exactly. And the first thing, the, the bozes, that means slippery. So apparently on one side it was real slippery. The other one means thorny or like a bramble bush thing. So it was just, you know, if you want to keep people off your property, just, you know, plant blackberry bushes with big thorns or roses or whatever. That, that usually works. Um, and so that's kind of what, what this was. It was a very, very difficult place to arrive at. And it, it tells us here that uh, the one crag rose to the north, and, and then verse 6, it says, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over 
to the garrison of these uncircumcised, it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or <clears throat> by few. Uh, what a wonderful <laughs> step of faith, right? When you stop it and you think about it, there's, there's a reason why Saul had originally camped here. It was a great place to camp. It was, it was just a, an ideal location. And this is, a, you know, when, when Jonathan says, hey, get your stuff, we're going to go. Uh, first of all, Jonathan calls the Philistines what? Uncircumcised. What's that mean? That means, you know what, they did not belong to God. They did not belong to God. They weren't on God's side. They didn't have that covenant relationship with God like Israel did. He understood that. And Jonathan was able to act boldly because he knew that he was what? He had that relationship with God. And that should give us bold boldness in our own Christian lives when we, we live here in this world that's dying and going to hell and it looks, you know, not always a wonderful place out there at times. But you know what? We should be encouraged that, first of all, we are in Christ. God is on our side. He's equipped us with the Holy Spirit. He's given us his word, the word of truth. And he, he desires us, he commands us to go out and proclaim the gospel and live the gospel before the uncircumcised. Or be, be, and, and we need to be reminded of that. And so Jonathan acts boldly because he had this relationship with God. Uh, but when he says there, uh, in, in one, one um, uh, in verse 6 there, it says, it may be, or some translations say, perhaps, okay, perhaps the Lord will work for us. This wasn't a lack of faith on his part. That's not what it's, it's drawing but rather he was willing to trust God no matter what. Even if God didn't provide a way out of this thing, he was going full bore. You know, it's, it's really similar to uh, another Old Testament character, Daniel's attitude, right? Do you remember Daniel's friends with the account of the, the, the fiery furnace? They told the king in, in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, the God we serve is able to rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and worship your gods. There's no way. So, you know, faith is different than presumption. We should never presume to know God's will. We should never presume on God. But faith chooses to follow God where he leads us and then trust him with the results. That's what faith is. And then you look at his final closing phrase here in verse 6. He says, For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Jonathan knew that he was outnumbered. I mean, he's going against a garrison of Philistines. He's only got two, another guy with them. That's it. And the other guy doesn't have anything. He's, he's got a, a weapon, but nobody else does. It's, it's just kind of a remarkable thing. He knew that when God was in the picture, guess what? The numbers don't matter. You know, God doesn't operate by our kind of math. The numbers didn't matter. God can save by many, or he can save by few. He can either save by one, as you remember with the story of David and Goliath, right? 
So nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. Proverbs 21.30 says this. Proverbs 21.30 says, There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan, I love this verse, that can succeed against the Lord. Nothing can succeed against the Lord. Or as Paul wrote when we went through Romans chapter 8, remember in verse 31, if God is for us, what? Who can be against us? The answer, no one, nobody. Absolutely nobody. We're on a winning team. Thirdly here, true faith results in actions. Look at verse 8. So his armor bearer, verse 7, his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. I love the heart of this armor bearer, whoever he is, man. That's just, I love the idea that he just, yep, I'm with you. Whatever it takes. He says, do as you wish. And I think he knew because God was with him. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. That's just the, you know, you can see this like playing out on a, on a movie screen. You know, this whole, this whole little scene here. Uh, and then it says in verse 8, Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. Remember, true faith, what? Results in action. I mean, this is kind of like a do or die kind of thing. It's like a suicide mission almost. But this is what God was really laying on his heart. And his faith wasn't just uh, simply a faith of words. But he actually put his faith, what, into action. His faith was a faith of action. So he's on difficult terrain here. He's outnumbered by the Philistines. He has no backup. Nobody even knows he's there. And yet he's still willing to move forward in faith. And guess where Saul is? Saul's still sitting under the pomegranate tree, counting his troops. And here's Jonathan. He's on the move, counting on God. So he says, you know what? Let's go out where they can see us. Wonderful strategy, I would say, if you're trying to sneak up on somebody. This makes a whole lot of sense. But like I said, God doesn't always do things the way we do. He says, Behold, we'll cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. (laughs) Verse 9, If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. Verse 10, But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up to them. For the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be a sign to us. I mean, what an amazing statement of faith. And I think this, this next scene, you'd love to see it like played out, like I said, in a movie, because it's just an incredible, incredible thing. I mean, think about it. The Philistines have the high ground. They're, 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 they're in this... This garrison is in this, this pass that is just craggy and rocky and it's hard to attack. It's easy to defend. You always want the high ground in a battle, right? And so you have the battle at, at Micmash Pass and here the, it just looks like, boy, they're just going in for a, a, suicide, a suicide mission. But what's he do? He actually calls out his his um, name um, when he's saying 
climb up after me, the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. The Lord has given. That's what Jonathan means. He says, the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be a sign to us. So, they're ready to go. And here's what happens. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the halls where they have hidden themselves. Because that's what most of them were doing, hiding. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. What's he saying? We're going to teach you guys a lesson. Come on, come on up here. Yeah, and, and Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan, verse 13, climbed up on his hands and feet. Now think about it. They're assaulting this pass, through this pass, to this garrison where the Philistines are. And they're having to, it's, it's so steep and so craggy, they have to use their hands and their feet. Well, guess what? That, that leaves the weapon where? In the sheath. So they, they're not even really armed at this point. They're climbing up, and uh, it says that... Um, Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his feet and his armor bearer after him. And it says, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after them. So they basically got up on top of this thing and just started going at it. (laughs) And God was on their side. Uh, They were victorious. And it says in verse 14... And after the first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, they killed about 20 men within, as it were, a half a furrow's length. Kind of like a half an acre of land, you might say. And then verse 15, and there was a panic in the camp of the Philistines, in the field, and among all the people. So the Philistines are not understanding what's happening here. And the garrison and even the raiders trembled, the ones that kind of probed out and, and ran off. They were in the enemy. They, they, and the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. See, this is, is, is Jonathan putting his faith into action. This is what James talks about, right? In the New Testament, when he talks in, in chapter 2, verse 18, when he says, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds or by what I do. Uh, That's what we're called to do. You can't separate true faith from action. You know, it's not good enough just to say, well, I'm a Christian, but, you know, what is, you know, God saved me when I was free or whatever. You know, my my question is, what's God done for you lately? (laughs) Have you grown since that time spiritually? Are you serving Christ? Because you can't separate true faith from action. They always go together. And if you truly believe that God is on your side and that he's going to help you defeat the Philistines, you know what? You're willing to do whatever. Climb up a cliff on your hands and and knees and make the attack because you know that God is going to win this for you. And I think as Christians, if we truly believe that Christ died on a cross for our sins, that we will... Live for him. 
we truly believe that, we will be asking forgiveness. If we truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and who rose from the dead, then we will confess him as Lord and Savior. And you know what? We'll follow him anywhere because we understand the victory that we have. And that's the third point here, verse 15. Victory comes from the Lord. You know, a lot of times, as Christians, I think we begin to believe, God bless you, we begin to believe that the battle is ours. You know, I'm in the battle for the Lord. This is tough. And, and we, we begin to believe that, that somehow that it's, 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 it's our battle to win. No, it's not. It's God's. And that's what he points out here in verses 15 to 19, because victory comes from the Lord. Faith always leads to victory. But the victory is not ours, it's the Lord's. Victory comes from the Lord. Look at verses uh, 15 to 19. It says here, And there was this panic in the camp and the field and among all the other people, the garrison, even the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. Verse 16, in the watchmen of Saul, they're watching this from a distance, and little spies out there. What are these Philistines doing next? In Gibeah of Benjamin, look and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. So he knew something was going on. See the dust cloud over there? You know what was going on? Then Saul said to the people who were with him, count and see who has gone from us. In other words, why, who's causing this ruckus over there? What's going on? And when they encountered, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. So Saul said to uh, Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. Whether this is the actual ark, uh, some translations say ephod, which is a kind of a garment thing they used to do. It's irrelevant, but for the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Verse 19, now while Saul was talking to the priest... The tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul said to all the people who were with him, um, then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow. And there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time, some of them kind of deserted, and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, then all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves, remember they were hiding in the caves and crags and everywhere, in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing. They too followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle pressed beyond Beth-Avon. So the battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord's. Jonathan, his armor-bearer, attack in faith, but it's God who gives the victory. Uh, God sends this divinely inspired panic among the people, the Philistines, and also kind of throws in there a a big earthquake just for effect, maybe. And uh, Saul and his men were afraid of the enemy, but now the tables are turned. The enemy is afraid of their God. So Saul's lookout men see these enemy forces scattering, report back to Saul. Saul does a head count, realizes, well, these guys, Jonathan and his 
his uh, armor bearer are gone, and uh, he's still counting his troops, as you can tell. Uh, at some point in life, one commentator says this, you've got to stop counting and start moving. You know, you've got to step out of faith. You know, sometimes it, it just, it really, uh, it's hard sometimes because you hear it all the time within, you know, a church's, yeah, somebody, you know, well, you know, what are you doing as far as ministry? Well, you know, nothing yet. I don't, you know, I'm still, still praying about it. <laughs> and, you know, at some, time, some point in time, they just got to stop and just do. Just start doing something. Trust God for the results. God wants us to use this. He never saved us to be spectators. That's not why we're called to be part of a church. We're called to be part of a church to serve, to serve Christ, to serve the body. You know, we don't just come here and just sit and absorb. I'm reminded of that song by Amy Grant. I don't know if she wrote it, but Fat Little Baby. You know, it talks about just coming to church and just eating and eating and eating. Fat, 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 fat little baby. It's referring to just those, those Christians that the only thing they didn't know how to do is go to church. They wouldn't know how to serve anybody if it hit them in the face. And we need to stop that. We need to realize, wait, God has saved us for a purpose. He saved us for a reason. And see, Jonathan wasn't just going to sit around and count the troops. He said, you know what, I'm going to make something happen here. And so at some point, you've got to start moving. And Saul shows further inconsistency when he calls for the ark. All right? He says, oh, bring the ark. He's looking for something else rather than God, just like they did before. Uh, to kind of discern God's will in the matter. Um, he just doesn't know what to do. He's a poor leader, Saul. One commentator said this, Saul is a person who prays when he should act and acts when he should pray. <laughs> That's so good. Saul is a person who prays when he should act and acts when he should pray. And we all go there at times, right? We've all been there. Uh, but we need to do both. We need to do both. Second Chronicles 20.15 says, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the battle is not yours. But whose? But God's. So we see that it's, it's, it's God's battle. We just need to be faithful. When you're in the thick of it, what a great encouragement it is to know that, you know what, the battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord's. Uh, secondly, your faith will encourage others to trust God too. This is kind of bringing this down to a close here. But look at what it says in verse 20. It, 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 it Basically, Jonathan, from that point on, when Saul and everybody else saw what Jonathan was doing, they said, hey, let's get behind this. You know, it was the faith of Jonathan. It was the faith of his armor bearer that really drew these guys out of the, the caves or wherever they were hiding, drew Saul out from underneath the tree. And because of his faith, Saul and all the men began to join in the battle. Even those who defected, those who went to the other side, those who were hiding, they all came out. See, when you act boldly in faith, that... Your, your, your faith will encourage others to trust God as well. But you know what? It has a reverse effect too. <laughs> if you're willing just to sit there and timidly in fear like Saul, 
I mean, most of the people were where? They weren't with Jonathan. They were where? They were with Saul. They were reading his face. They were looking at his emotions. They were like, oh, man, we're really in trouble. when You know, this guy's checked out. And so it works both ways. First Thessalonians, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 7, Therefore, brothers, in all of our distress and persecution, and there was a lot of it, right, with the Apostle Paul. He went through a lot of stuff. He says, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. See, faith is something that is real. It's something that's, that has action to it. It has movement to it. It's not, it's not something that's just this you know, thing that floats around you and you can't put, put your hand on it. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul wrote to Timothy at Ephesus. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, listen, life, love, in faith, and in purity. So Timothy was this young disciple, and he said, hey, don't let people push you around just because you're younger. You just be an example. And part of that example was being an example in faith. So Jonathan acted boldly in faith. He inspired others to join the battle. And the bottom line is found in verse 23. The Lord rescued Israel that day. Uh, He rescued Israel in spite of Saul. He's cowering in fear, but he did it through Jonathan's faith. So when you stop and you, you, you think about your Christian life, victory always comes from the Lord. It's, it's our battle to win. Um, and you have to stop and ask ourselves, where is God calling me to exercise my faith today or tomorrow or the next day? You know, we, we really need to be, be doing that. Be bold, move toward forward in Christ, and God will will bless you as a result of that.